Lord, thank you for the, the power of your spirit that's here, the, the spirit that leads us in truth, that helps us to understand the scriptures. God, I pray that you would enlighten our understanding, uh, help us to not only understand the truth, but apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are in a series called Free. It's a study in the book of Galatians. If you have a Bible, uh, please take that out and turn to Galatians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. So go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go past the book of Acts. You get into Paul's letters. One of those letters is a letter to the Galatian churches. Uh, we'll be there in just, just a moment. Do you, ever, do you ever make major decisions in life and then doubt that that was the right decision to make? In other words, you, you, you make the decision, maybe second guess, or like, well, is the outcome really going to be what I hoped? And you start getting a little bit insecure about that, that decision that you made. Like, like maybe, maybe we, we, we bought a little too much house. Maybe, maybe, we, we, maybe we overextended a little bit. Maybe we, you know, we shouldn't have gone that, that deep. Or uh, maybe, we should, maybe our, our kid was too young for, for a smartphone. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we should have waited just a little bit longer before we put that in, in their hands. Um, or or like maybe, maybe we had too many kids. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should have stopped at 14. Uh, no, you should have stopped at four. That, that's the reality of that. Um, <laughs> You know, there's, there's, there's Christians that struggle with um, spiritual decisions. Like, they, they make the decision to follow Christ, and then they, they doubt that they're saved. They, they doubt that, uh, that that decision had any, any lasting impact. Maybe they sin, and they think, God could never forgive me for that sin, and, or they just fall away from the Lord, or, or suddenly they don't feel like they did at first. Like, like initially, they, they felt so close to God, and they, they felt so saved, and, you know, su such a good Christian, and then all of a sudden, those feelings go away, and it's like, am I, am I really saved? Do, do I really have a relationship with God? And so this, this series called Free is about helping you walk in the freedom of Christ. And we've talked about freedom from legalism, and we explained that. We talked about freedom from perfectionism, and we explained that. And today we're going to talk about freedom from the uncertainty of salvation, because many struggle with that, that, that fear, that uncertainty that I'm, that I'm genuinely saved. And so it, it begs the question, can I, can I actually be sure? Can a Christian actually be confident and convinced that they're saved and they're saved eternally? They're, they're not going to lose that salvation. Well, the, the Catholic Church says no. The Catholic Church says that, that in this life, we really can't ever come to that place where, where we're fully assured of salvation. We have to wait until, until we get there. Um, so Donald Blush in his, his commentary says this, uh, while the, the Protestant reformers held that man can and must be certain of his salvation, the Catholic position has been that one cannot be absolutely sure that he's saved. The Council of Trent, between the years 1545 and, and 1563, let me explain the Council of Trent. Um, the, 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 the Catholic leaders, the bishops and, and the theologians that made decisions related to doctrine, they got together regularly as, as, their, as needs arose to clarify certain doctrinal positions. During the, the, the Council of Trent, these decisions, and there were three separate sessions in those years when they got together, uh, these were basically in, in response to the Protestant Reformation that was going on at the same time. So the Protestant reformers were, were coming back to Scripture and saying, no, this is what the Bible 
Bible says. This is what Scripture teaches. And so the Catholic leaders were getting together saying, well, do we believe that? Or exactly where do we fall on this theological issue? And, and, and Blush reminds us that the Catholic Church in the Council of Trent in the, in the, um, the 1500s said, no, let me, let me keep going with that quote. Um, the Council of Trent rejected the view that man could rise above conjecture and attain to certainty without a special revelation. In other words, God may give a few people a, a special revelation of that, but for the most part, people in the Catholic Church can't really attain to that level of certainty. Well, the, the, the Protestant reformers felt very differently. John Calvin, uh, who was a French theologian uh, in, in Geneva, Switzerland, said faith is a firm and effectual confidence, not just a bare idea. This is, this is something that we can be certain about. And Martin Luther, who was a German theologian and led the, the German Reformation, uh, he said this, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, not human works. The confidence is in the grace of God, not what we do to produce salvation in any way. So sure, so sure and certain is this faith that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. In other words, the Protestant reformers believe that, yes, we, we can come to certainty of our faith, of our salvation. Yeah, we, we know that we're saved. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, says the exact same thing, that, that we can actually be certain. We can actually have the assurance and confidence that we are in a right relationship with God, and that, that will last through eternity. So Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. Please follow along if you have a Bible. If you need a Bible, maybe there's one in the seat back in front of you. Paul says this in verse 1. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. So what's he saying here? Children in a Roman household, uh, even though the they, were, they were biological children and they were heirs to the estate of the father, the father would have set a date when they were a certain age or at a certain point in time when they could receive the inheritance. And the children then, uh, they had no access to it before that date. So Paul says they're, they're in the same boat as the, the, the household slaves. The slaves weren't heirs to the estate, so they didn't have any inheritance. And Paul says essentially the kids are in the same situation because until that date comes, until the date that the father put in the trust or put in the will, until that date comes, the children can't access the inheritance. He goes on in verse 3. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, the analogy shifts to adoption. And in, in the Roman Empire, it was possible for a slave in the household to actually be adopted. If, if, the, if the father, the head of the household, wanted to adopt that slave as a child, then he could do that. If he adopted a slave into his family, then that slave had legal rights to become an heir of the father's estate. So he's saying that's what, that's what we were like. We were like slaves 
waiting to be adopted into God's family. And God sent Jesus at just the right time. In other words, like the father would set the date in the, in the will, God sent Jesus at just the right time. And Jesus came to pay the price for our slavery so that we could be adopted into God's family. He paid the price of redemption. So now we, though we were slaves and outside of God's family, Christ paid the price so that we could be adopted and become part of God's family. Verse 6, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when we're saved, man, we, we know that, that we're God's children. We know that God's our Father. There's this, this affirmation, this assurance in our heart that the Holy Spirit gives that we belong to God. And, and so we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, now you are no longer a slave. You've been adopted. You're God's own child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Okay, so this principle of adoption uh, adoption happens the moment you become a Christian. There, there's not a, a waiting period. It's not like your sins are forgiven, you come into a right relationship with God, and then sometime later, if you're good, and if you do what you're supposed to do, then God will you know, adopt you into his family. There, there is no foster care system in the kingdom of God where you might be in that household for a while, and then if the parents wanted to adopt you, they would. No, as soon as God offered you forgiveness of sin and right standing with him through faith in Christ, and you accepted it, immediately you, you were adopted into God's family, and you became a legal heir of salvation. You, you became an heir to God's inheritance. Now, here, here's a truth in, in, in Roman adoptions. If a slave or even a son was, or, or just a young man in, in another family was adopted into a family, that child had no right or power or privilege to unadopt himself. In other words, the, the adoption, the, the, the legal grounds for adoption was in the hand of the father, not the child. So the child couldn't get out of it. Now, think of your adoption into God's family along those lines. This is in his hands. This is not in your hand to keep getting in and out based on how you feel. Man, God has a hold of your life. You've been adopted into his family. So I want to share three reasons today that, that you and I, if we're in Christ, if we've trusted him for salvation, that we can be sure, certain, confident that we're saved. And none of these have anything to do with you. None of these have anything to do with me. They all have to do with what God, God has done. So, so the first is this, if you're taking notes, you can follow along. The adoration of the Father. The first reason we can be confident in our salvation is the, the adoration of the Father. And by, by adoration, I mean love, affection, desire for you. Man, God loves you with this crazy, insane love that's not conditional. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on whether you're having a great day. It's not based on whether you're living up to the standard. It's just, it's just God's love that never changes. Now, Jesus, when he taught, often he compared human parental love with God's perfect love as a father. And he said things like this, if you who are evil, imperfect, if you know how to love your kids well and give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who's perfect Give what's good to those who ask. In other, in other words, he'll love you perfectly. Now, now, if you're a parent, whether an ad adopted parent or you have biological children, it doesn't matter. You understand the love of a parent for that child. 
and it doesn't change. Man, you, you love them because they're your kids, right? So let's talk about that love. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. He says, Paul says, I'm convinced. There's no question, no doubt. I'm confident that nothing, say nothing. nothing. I looked up that word nothing in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means nothing. <laughs> nothing can ever, say ever, ever separate us from God's crazy love. Nothing you, you can do cancels his love. Nothing you can do alters his love. Nothing you can do dilutes his love. Nothing you can do changes his love for you. There's nothing that can separate you, remove you from this crazy affection and adoration that God has for you. He goes on. Neither, and then he gives this list of things that we might say, well, may, maybe that could change God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today. Oh, man, I blew it today. Am, am, am I good today? Am I saved today? Or worries about tomorrow. Am, am I going to go to heaven when I die? Not even the powers of hell, not even Satan himself can separate us from God's love. Come on, someone. No, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever say ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You are just loved in Christ. When, when, when you become part of God's family, his, his love can't be altered. Jesus says, says something really powerful in, in John chapter 10. Jesus says, about his disciples, uh, you and I as Christ's followers, I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. In other words, they'll, they'll never lose that. They'll, they'll never be separated from God. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me, they're, they're adopted into his family and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can rip you out of God's hand. His love isn't going to allow it. There's often times in life we feel like we stray from God and we walk away, and we kind of do, but the reality is, here's what Jesus says, no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. So if you've reached out to God and asked him to save you, you've reached out and put your trust in Jesus, Jesus gets a hold of that hand, and then the Father gets a hold of the hand. You ever had a little kid in the store that you're walking through the store, and they want to go one way, and you don't want to go that way? Who wins? You win. <laughs> Get back here. And you can do your best to get away from God. He ain't letting go. Once he gets a hold of you, he loves you so much, he's not going to let go. Now, now, you and I are imperfect as parents. We don't perfectly love our kids, and yet, yet that love runs deep, right? So, so I, have, I have three kids. I have two daughters and a son. Uh, the daughters are older. Isn't that, is that, are they adorable? Come on. Shannon, they're, they're probably six, five, and three in that picture. And, and they, they, are, they are angels. I mean, what's not to love about them? And then they grow up. And then they, they, they enroll in Knucklehead University. Uh, and they start making really poor decisions in life. 
decisions that, that, that aren't glorifying to God and that they you know, regret sometimes. And they, 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 so this is them. My son's in high school playing football. My daughters were in college at that time. And my wife, Shirlene, and I, we taught. I taught Bible, and she taught lit- literature, language arts, in this Christian high school, right? And so we, we went away for a weekend, and the, the girls decided to come home and have a party at our house. So they invited all the kids from the Christian high school, to the part, they're drinking alcohol, you know, just sell it, you know, having a great time. And so we go to school on Monday morning. Kids are like, dude, great party at your house. I, I didn't know about it. What, who, you're drinking in my house while I'm not there? Now, while they're knuckleheads, my love never changed. Now, we had to make some adjustments in their life, right, <laughs> to bring them under control and to bring them back to God. You have to make adjustments as parents. But my love... Never, never faded. In fact, my sense of compassion and, and deep longing for them as they, as they wandered from the Lord, I think my love grew even stronger. I, I wanted what was best for them, uh, even though they were making poor choices in life. See, our love, and, and we're, we're imperfect, and God's love is perfect for, toward us. And so then they get older, right? And, and they, they mature. So here they are a few months ago, the summer of my son Jonathan's wedding, uh, JT and Shannon and Heather there. And, and, and things begin to, to shift a little bit. Whereas before, the, this love seemed to be one-sided, right? Like, like I love my kids, and I'm, I'm devoted to my kids and unconditionally you know, committed to them. But, but then they begin to show you affection if you hang in there long enough. And, and they begin to actually say, I, I love you. And, and so my daughter Shannon, um, she, she said, uh, we're, we're training for a marathon, which, a half marathon, which is next weekend. So we've been training together. She said, Dad, we, we have to run a half marathon together before you die. That, that, that's what she said. <laughs> she said, you're 60 and you're, you're, you're almost there. So, um, so we've been, she, I, like she wants to do that with me. That's like cool. And then my daughter Heather, she and I are the only Dodger fans in the family. And she, she, every time the Dodgers go to the World Series, she calls me, Dad, Dad, we got to go to the World Series. We got we to watch the game together. And we, we love doing that. And then my son JT's in California. Anytime I go to California, he takes me to the coolest taco places. The new taco, Berea is the new cool taco thing, if you didn't know that. And so they, they, like, they like actually love me. But when they didn't display love and affection, I still love them. And when they weren't demonstrating commitment to me, I was still committed to them. And when you don't show devotion to God, if you're in Christ, he's he's still devoted to you. And as much as maybe sometimes you'd like to let go of God's hand, he's not letting go of you. He loves you with a deep, everlasting love. One of the senses of assurance that we have that we're not going to lose our salvation is the eternal, unchanging adoration and love that God has for you. Even though you may not love God as much on some days, his love never changes. The second thing is uh, the advocacy of Jesus. The advocacy of, what is an advocate? An advocate is someone that that represents a client, that goes to bat for them, uh, a, a defense attorney, uh, someone that goes to court and advocates. My, my mom had a health advocate. Uh, they had to go to the doctors and try to work things out on, on, on the patient's behalf. So an advocate goes and works things out for a person. And Jesus is our, our advocate. And, and so I want you to get this picture in your mind. That there's this ongoing scene in heaven. And, and the scene is a courtroom. And God the Father is the judge. And Satan is the prosecuting attorney. 
And Jesus is your defense attorney. He's your advocate in that courtroom. And Satan always brings your sin before God the Father and accuses you and says you're, you're guilty and undeserving of grace and undeserving of heaven. And Jesus is your advocate in the courtroom. And Jesus is your defense attorney who shares with the Father why you should be saved. So here's what we read in um, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. John says, I heard a voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, say accuser. The accuser of our brothers and sisters in Christ has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before God, how often? Consistently. Courtroom, day and night, Satan, the accuser of Christians going before God, saying, yeah, 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 did, did you see that? But then John also tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that Jesus is our advocate. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal of Christianity, is to become more like Jesus and sin less. But if anyone does sin, and we all do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father, Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So you've got an accuser who's day and night accusing you of your sin before God, telling God all the reasons you don't deserve to get to heaven. And then you've got Jesus, your advocate, who pleads your case before the Father. I think it goes something like this. Uh, there's this courtroom and you sin, maybe you sin big. And Satan goes before the judge, before God the Father, and says, have you seen wheels? Like this dude's atrocious. He's a pastor. He's a Christian, says he's a Christian. Like, are you serious? You're, you're going to let him into heaven, this, this holy place. You're going you're gonna to allow him, though he's violated your law, he's broken your law, he's, he's sinned against you. You're, you're going to let him into heaven? Like, like, Christians don't act like this. Christians don't do this. People that say they follow Jesus, they don't mess their lives up like this. So on what basis are you going to allow Jeff into heaven? And he presents a pretty good case because I do mess my life up. And, and, and I do fall short of God's standard. And, and I really don't deserve heaven. And you know what? Sometimes I hear that voice in my head. Sometimes I hear those accusations. It's almost like I can hear what's going on in the courtroom, that you don't deserve this, that you're just a miserable failure. You're a sinner that doesn't deserve any grace or any salvation. But then my advocate steps up, Jesus, my defense attorney. And he said, he says, Father, I'd like to address those charges. He, said, he says, first of all, on, on, on such and such a date, when, when, when Wheels was nine years old, remember at that, at that uh, Foursquare Church in Covina, California, he felt really bad about his sin, and he kneeled down at the altar, and he asked for forgiveness. He recognized that he was a sinner, and, and he asked me to wash him from all of his sin, and I did. I cleansed him, and I washed him in that moment. I, I want to present some evidence to you. Exhibit A is Wheels' spiritual birth certificate. Here it is. It was, it was that day that he was born again. It, it was that day that he became a Christ follower. It was that day that he was washed and purified. It was that day that he became blameless in your sight. I, I want to uh, present another uh, sample evidence here. It's exhibit B. That's, that's Wheel's adoption papers. And he puts the adoption papers on the, the judge's stand. And he says it was, it was on such and such a date that, that he legally became your kid. It was, it was on that date that he, that he legally, there was a legal transaction that took place. It's in this document. He became your child. He became an heir to salvation. He became an, an heir to the inheritance of eternal life. 
that you promised. And the father says, is that all? Jesus said, no, I'm calling a witness to the stand. And so Jesus calls the Holy Spirit to the stand. And he asked the Holy Spirit, as I'm sitting there, do you, do you know him? The Holy Spirit says, yes. I came to live in his life when he was at that little church in Covina, California, and I've been with him ever since. And the father looks at Satan and he says, do you have any additional evidence as to why I should not allow wheels into heaven and have him be my son? And Satan says, I've presented more than enough evidence. He's broken the law. He's violated the law. God says, is that it? He says, yes. He says, not guilty. Not on the basis of what wheels did, on the basis of what Jesus did. My son lived a perfect life, and, and Wheels accepted that. Wheels humbled himself. Wheels received forgiveness and grace. He is part of my family, and I'm not letting him go. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's what it says in Hebrews about Jesus in his ministry now. Therefore, Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever. He continually lives to intercede with God on our behalf. He's advocating right now. He's interceding for you right now. Every accusation that comes, he shoots it down. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. The third thing, not only the, the adoration of the Father and the advocacy of Jesus, but the affirmation of the Holy Spirit. The, the affirmation of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in verse 6 of Galatians 4. Because we are his children, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit confirms that we're his kids. The Holy Spirit now gives us that desire to have a relationship with God, to recognize him as our loving father. That's why we keep coming to God. The Holy Spirit keeps drawing us to God. Another scripture, Romans 5. This is a, a similar scripture that Paul says in a different letter. He says, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful like slaves. Remember, slaves didn't have an inheritance. Slaves weren't confident they were going to get anything from the father. When you're, when you're on the outside, you're fearful but when, the, when you're on the inside, you're confident. You haven't received a spirit that makes you fearful about salvation. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The, the third evidence, the third source of, of assurance is the Holy Spirit that convinces us that we belong to him. And it has absolutely nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. We don't produce it. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. It's simply grace. Take a look. If. If I, this is the condition, the why, the question mark over each of our lives. If, if I, if I am good enough, if I don't mess up too much, if I go to the right church, if I prove to God my worth, if I 
pray before I eat, if I read scripture before I sleep, if I do enough good works, if I share the gospel with those who search, if I always give it my best try, if I do the most I can before I die, if, 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 if I. Now the problem with these questioning lines is not actually that you're asking if, but that your if is dependent upon your I. Because if you're trying to provide yourself with an equation that assures you of your salvation, and you're trying to use yourself as the standard, the cause, the determinant, the foundation, then all you will ever get out of your internal interrogations to the question, have I finally done enough to receive salvation, will be a resounding negative declaration. No, no, you aren't good enough. No, you messed up too much. No, you did not do enough good works. No, you did not prove to God your worth. No, you didn't give it your best try. No, you didn't do enough before you died. If your if is based on your I, then your assurance of salvation will always be denied. And yet, for every single one of us, this is what we've tried to base our salvation on self-evaluation. But all we ever get out of this arrangement is condemnation. That's why you feel lacking, no matter how hard you try, because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel disobedient no matter how often you comply, because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel distant, like a misfit, like a second-class citizen. It's why you feel empty no matter how much you supply, because your if is based on your I, and your I can never measure up to the standard of God on high. And that's not because his standards are awry, but it's because he is perfect, and we always fall short of that prize. And so there is always condemnation for those who are in I. But there is good news. There is gospel free to all without price. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So let's make a new condition. Let's Let's ask a different why. With the old one gone, let's fly a freshly drawn question mark over each of our lives. Let's ask a new if to replace our if eyes. Let's ask if, if Christ, if Christ was good enough. If Christ loved so much, if Christ died to save his church, if Christ rose to give us his worth, if Christ provided bread of life to eat, if Christ fulfilled the scriptures by crushing death beneath his feet, if Christ performed every good work, sought out those who never searched, died the death we should have died, beat the grave to raise us to life, if, 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 Christ. Now, 
the joy within these questioning lines is that our if is no longer dependent on something that we supplied. Instead, the if of our salvation is dependent on the one who loved us so much that he was crucified. So let's abandon our if eyes and run towards if Christ. Let's move from feeling like I'm condemned to say I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither heights nor depths, not my own faults or mess ups, not my guilt or distrust, nothing can separate me from the love of God because all my ifs Christ answered on the cross. And so we can ask one final if, and with it, all condemnation is crushed. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. So as we talk about this biblical truth of the certainty or assurance of salvation, how do we respond? How do we live our lives? And some would say, well, if we know that we're going to heaven no matter what, I can live life however I want. I can sin. I can, I can live for myself and pleasure. And it doesn't matter because I'm in. And Paul had to deal with that because many Christians responded to this truth with that attitude. And Paul said, are you kidding me? May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And friends, here's the reality. If you have that attitude, if you believe that you can live a life however you want and you pursue that life, I'm going to suggest to you that you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with Christ. Because when you truly experience the love of God, when you truly experience the forgiveness of sin, when you truly experience what it means to be released from your darkness and transferred into God's light, when you understand that you are loved eternally and you are adopted into God's family and you realize none of that was possible without Christ, you want to do everything you can in your life to live for him. All you want to do is please him. All you want to do is follow him. All you want to do is be like him. If you have the attitude, I just get to live however I, lie, I want. I don't think you have the Holy Spirit. John said, you shouldn't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. You're not going to want to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. You're not going to want to live a life of flesh and sin. But if you do sin... There's forgiveness. Because when Christ comes into a life, it changes you from the inside out. And you just want to live for him. If you're here this morning, and, and that video, was, was, it just resonated with you like, I've never understood it that way. I've, I've always tried to attain myself to that standard, and I, and I fall short, and I feel condemned, and I don't feel worthy. If you've never just surrendered yourself completely to the works of Jesus on the cross, that he paid it all, that he did what you couldn't do, and surrendered to that and received his grace by faith alone, I want to invite you to that place. I want to invite you right now to life change, a life change that's born by the Holy Spirit inside of you, that will allow you by his grace to live a different life, but not trying to live a different life in order to attain to something. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And if this is you, just say, Lord, 
I know that I'm a sinner. I, I know that I've broken your law. I know that in that courtroom in heaven, that, that apart from Christ, I am guilty. I am condemned to be separated from God. But I don't want that for my life. I, I want to I know you. I want to be with you. I want eternal life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. Would you forgive me, Lord? Would you wash every sin that I've ever committed away? And Lord, to, to confirm my standing with you, would you give me the Holy Spirit? Friends, take a moment, invite the Holy Spirit to enter your life. God, give us the Spirit to confirm our decision of faith. And Lord, by the Holy Spirit, help us to live differently. Help us to, to, to love differently. Help us to speak differently and have different desires, God. Change us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning, friends, as we close? Most of you probably have a relationship with Jesus, and I want this truth to encourage you to live differently. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the security and the certainty that we have in Christ and not in ourselves. But God, we pray this week that we would not insult the spirit of grace by seeking to live a life that's pleasing to us. Oh, Holy Spirit, keep us in check. Holy Spirit, keep us grounded in truth. Help us this week above everything to want to please God with our lives, with our words, with our attitudes. Help us live for you this week, God. And as we do that, give us the certainty and the assurance and the knowing deep in our hearts that we are children of God, bought with the blood of Christ who paid the price of adoption. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There, there, there's going to be some folks up here to, to pray with you. And, and if, you, if you made a decision to follow Christ, I, wanna, I want you to come forward and talk to them about it. If you need prayer for anything in your life, please don't leave. Come down and receive some prayer. Man, go in the freedom of Christ. Have a great week.